Well, this is the weekly I Test for Two podcast, where unlike the upcoming presidential debate, they don't turn off the mics. At least that's the hope. <laughs> I'm Clark Judge, speaking with Ira Kaufman. We're both Pro Football Hall of Fame voters. If you've been listening to this podcast before, you know that we look at the NFL past, present, and yes, our future often through a Hall of Fame lens. And today we're gonna to touch all the bases. Uh, we're gonna talk about the Pro Bowl, Peyton Manning's nephew, that would be Arch Manning, Matt Ryan of the Atlanta Falcons. I even hear, Ira, you have something to say about Aaron Rodgers, and uh, more on that later. And we're gonna sit down with former Packers GM, Ron Wolf. But first, since I mentioned the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Ira, I, I wanna start with the passing of a former Pro Football Hall of Fame voter, and that's Sid Hartman, who was a columnist at the Minneapolis Star Tribune for decades, and who died last week at the age of 100 after 21,335 byline stories, including his last one on Sunday. A pretty remarkable man. Clark, uh, Sid Hartman, he just might be the last of a breed that guys like you and I are familiar with. And by that, I mean, I came to Tampa in 1985 from New right. York. Right. And the columnist of the Tampa Tribune was Tom McEwen. And as I learned more and more about Tom McEwen and the power that he wielded in the 60s and 70s and how vital he was to landing an NFL franchise, there may not be the Tampa Bay Bucks without a columnist like McEwen and Clark, Edwin Pope uh, in Miami, Jim Murray in Los Angeles. You know these people and how powerful they were. And Hartman's right there in the Midwest. And Clark, it was a different time in terms of columnist power. Absolutely. Dave Anderson in New York, too. Uh, Will McDonough in Boston. And one by one, these guys were leaving. And Sid, it just seemed like would go on forever because he did. He went on forever. And he could be tough. He could be a tough guy. But one thing I know about him, Ira, Randy Moss trusted him. He was the only guy that Randy Moss talked to there. And, and Moss doesn't trust you and I. Smart man. Um, <laughs> he, he did. He won over. <laughs> uh, Sid Hartman, he saw it all. He, he saw did. it all. He, he, he saw the Minneapolis Lakers, Clark. You know, <laughs> uh, so, you know, the Twins and uh, the North Stars, and the Timberwolves, they all owe him, uh, uh, you know, uh, thanks. Because yeah. that's the, the, the kind of power those columnists had. The Twins, when they were playing at the Met, where the Mall of America is today. The kids go, what? There was a baseball stadium? Yeah, the Twins, when they played there. That was pretty and, cool. Anyway, uh, sad news, but um, a legend, really a legend, Sid Hartman. Um, I want to get on to the Pro Bowl. Ira, talk about things passing. Uh, the Pro Bowl was supposed to be scheduled for the last weekend in January. In fact, I think the last day in January in Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. But the NFL, as you know, most people know, it called it off because of the pandemic. That's not surprising. What I would like to see, Ira, is them call off the Pro Bowl every year. Get rid of it. How about you? I'm with you. You know, it was a fixture in Honolulu, no question about it. And then the next thing you know, it's in Orlando. Uh, and I've been there several times in Orlando. Clark never got there in Hawaii. But I, I was there a few times in Orlando. And, you know, Clark, in the grand scheme of things, from a fan perspective, 
no big deal. No big deal that there isn't going to be a Pro Bowl. I thought the game was a farce, much like the NHL All-Stars and the NBA. I think baseball stands alone, Clark. I agree. It's a legitimate All-Star game. And, you know, these uh, 51, 48 Pro Bowls, uh, I, I don't think many people care. Some people, some of our listeners, in fact, may not know that the Pro Bowl used to be played after the Super Bowl. Remember that hour, a week after the Super Bowl? And so that the teams that were in the Super Bowl, some of the players would fly to the Pro Bowl and play another game that was meaningless. But I did go to the Pro Bowl when I was in Hawaii a couple of times. I used to live in Hawaii when I was a kid. And it was great to go back there. And what I remember distinctly was the 1991 Pro Bowl that um, our producer Ian Glendon would certainly remember because Robert Edwards is a running back who was there. And there was a, a rookie beach ball game that was played on the beach that year. Peyton Manning was involved, Charles Woodson, two guys who were up for the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2021. And it was supposed to be just a harmless, meaningless game. And Robert Edwards, I think, um, went up to d defend a pass by, I think it was Charlie Batch threw the ball, but uh, knocked it down and then, you know, hurt himself a little bit. They, they carried him off the field. The, the spectators were applauding. They put him on a buffet table to check him out. Um, it looked like it was a little more serious. Put him in an ambulance. Turns out he tore his ACL, his PCL, his MCL, and partially tore his LCL, whatever that is. In any case, as Ian knows, it, it finished his career. And that, to me, was the beginning of the end of the Pro Bowl. You're lucky they didn't put him on a spit over there like a roasted <laughs> pig over there, Clark. <laughs> I could have had a, lee, a luau. Now, Clark, you and I have seen so much football that you and I remember when the Super Bowl champions used to play the college oh, all-stars. Sure. Yeah. And you know what? The college all-stars were all psyched up for that game. They wanted to beat the pros, you know, and I remember the 69 Chiefs ended up playing the all-stars and the 68 Jets, and that was a pretty big deal, Clark, especially deal. for the best of the best of the college players. Yeah, it was a big deal. Uh, fortunately, that one's gone too, but uh, it, litigation gets involved with it, certainly injuries, and the Pro Bowl, when it was in Hawaii, I thought it was kind of a cool thing because it was a destination, it was a reward. But then as it goes on, you went, ah, you know what? Um, it's just not working out. As you mentioned, Oakland, I mean, I'm sorry, <laughs> Orlando, <laughs> um, Las Vegas, I was thinking of Oakland, now Las Vegas. It, there's really not a, a place like that has the allure of, of Honolulu. And it, really at the end, guys were bailing out of that Brady never played. It just was, seemed like there was no purpose anyway. Uh, there's no purpose to continue this conversation either. Let's move <laughs> on to Archie Manning, who is, uh, think of Archie Manning. He was a great college player, and you and I remember him. But I'm talking about Arch Manning, who is his grandson and uh, the nephew of Peyton and Eli Manning, the son of their brother, Cooper. Last week, ESPN put Arch Manning, who's 15 years old and a sophomore, on a national telecast. And he threw two touchdown passes, ran for two others, was everything we had heard, and they won 55-22, which is great. But to me, our, what's not so great is why are we putting 15-year-old kids on a national telecast, especially someone with the last name of Manning? That's a ton of pressure, especially Arch Manning down in New Orleans. Everyone knows who Archie who was. But now you've got a Manning at quarterback, and we're putting him on national TV. This kid has just got a ton of pressure already. The expectations, the bar have been raised to a, to me, unreachable height already. No question, Clark. I believe he's a sophomore. 
Clark. Yes. I think he's a sophomore. And now the raging debate in Louisiana, where, where's the kid going to go? Sure. Where's the kid going to go? And what are you hearing? You're hearing Ole Miss, LSU. Georgia, Tennessee, LSU. Uh, if he leaves the SEC, people are going to go crazy. Yeah, you know, it's just – can you imagine him going to, uh, you know, the University of Central Florida? I mean, come on. I, I don't uh, hear him so... looking at Dartmouth College, Ira. I don't hear him looking at Dartmouth. <laughs> uh, maybe he wants to join that Cameron Brates Hall, Harvard uh, stomping grounds. <laughs> you never know. But, um, Clark, you're right. The kid is in the spotlight already. He's 15. You know, Clark, here, here's an irony that you might know a little bit more about it. Some people think that Cooper, before uh, he, he had physical problems, right. was more skilled uh, than Peyton Manning. Do you know anything about Cooper Manning? Not much other than the injury uh, finished his career. But uh, I know he's a high school star. I don't know much about him. I know, like the other man, he's a great guy. But certainly, he's if whatever he had in his genes, he's passed on to his son, who is a terrific, and they say, possibly the best Manning of all. But that, to me, is part of the whole problem is – you get that Manny name. It's like, you know, if your name is Joe Montana Jr. And there was a Joseph Montana, you, you go to Notre Dame, you don't have a shot. You're Michael Jordan Jr. You go to UNC. You, I mean, they're expecting you to be your dad. And, and I think here you hear Arch Manning, as I mentioned, a lot of people still know about Archie Manning, not because they saw him, because they've heard of him. I mean, he was legendary. And I'm going to tell you, Ira, you're old enough to remember Archie Manning was the most electrifying college quarterback I ever saw. He really was. Wow. I played for some terrible Saints teams, Clark. Oh. I mean, real, really bad. Uh, early 70s. Um, who knows what would have happened if he went to the Cowboys yeah. um, or other or, or powers at, at that time. Um, he was buried. He was buried in New Orleans in more ways than one, Clark. He was buried. Um, yeah, he was. Had a pretty good career. I think he could have had a great career somewhere else. He could have. Um, speaking of quarterbacks, Ira, it's a quarterback down in the Southeast. You mentioned the Southeastern schools. I'm talking about a Southeastern football team, professional football team, the Atlanta Falcons. Quarterback is Matt Ryan. You and I have talked about him before. Last weekend, last week, I guess it was, owner Arthur Blank of the Falcons was asked what his future was. And I'm talking about Matt Ryan. And he was sort of noncommittal. But in the process of talking about him, he called him a great quarterback and one of the leading quarterbacks in the last 13 years. I think part of that is true. I'm not sure he's a great quarterback. He's really good. But to me, we throw the word great around very liberally. And so, you know, it, it's sort of cheap. And the more we use it, I think Tom Brady's a great quarterback. I think Pete Manning was a great quarterback, Joe Montana, but Matt Ryan, I don't know. And so when I read the stories and then saw the fallout from what Arthur Blank had said, people are saying, Matt Ryan, future Hall of Famer. Matt Ryan, future Hall of Famer. That, that's what you hear a lot. And I'm looking at you, Ira, and you're a Hall of Fame voter. You and I have talked about this before. Where do you sit on Matt Ryan and the Pro Football Hall of Fame? 10 years from now, are we going to be talking about Matt Ryan as a Hall of Famer? Clark, I, I think maybe more than any other current player, um, he is in the spotlight for the name of this show, the eye test, the eye test for two. Uh, by the numbers, and you know this, Clark, and, he, and he's not done. He's 35. Who knows how long this guy wants to play? Clark, he's talking across the board. Attempts, completions, yards, touchdowns. The guy's very durable. Um, 
he's 20, 30 games over 500, unlike Eli Manning. He's, he's 30 games on, over 500. He's been to the playoffs. Clarky was the best player in football in 2016. He was the best player in football, won the MVP, and had a 28-3 lead on, Brian, uh, on Bill Belichick's defense. Let's not forget that. Uh, everybody looks at Kyle Shanahan and what Matt Ryan did and didn't do in the last eight minutes of that game. Clark, they had a 25-point lead. Nobody wants to look at the Falcon defense. But overall, Clark, I think he's a little short in my mind. I think he's a little bit short. He doesn't have those magic transcendent moments. Um, he doesn't have signature plays. And he might be considered a compiler. Philip Rivers is right there with him, Clark. Durability off the board. Clark, the eye test tells me he's a little short. Yeah, I'm with you 100% on that, Ira, because what do we remember about Matt Ryan apart from the numbers? And it's not what he did. To me, it's what he didn't do. He didn't protect a 28-3 lead when he had it in the Super Bowl. Now, I mean, Ian certainly remembers this because it was the New England Patriots. And you can say, yeah, the defense, this and that. Wait a minute. Third and one, they run the ball. He's throwing, and what happens? Dante Hightower gets the ball, and all of a sudden the Patriots have a chance to go. Now, when they have a chance to put it away and they're deep in the New England territory in the fourth period, they can kick the field goal. He's throwing the ball and takes the sack. You go, my God, the Patriots would not have had a chance in that game if they didn't get help, and they got help from Kyle Shanahan, the offensive coordinator, and they got a lot of help from Matt Ryan. And I agree with you on the compiling because I was looking up the numbers. Yeah, he's got tons of, of numbers. So does Philip Rivers. I mean, Philip Rivers, you mentioned, you know, where he is in terms of yards. Philip Rivers is sixth. Matt Ryan is ninth. Yeah. Uh, where he is in terms of TD passes, Philip Rivers is sixth. Matt Ryan is 11th. Matt Ryan's ahead of John Elway in both. Well, John Elway, I remember for a number of things, you know, including <laughs> Super Bowl wins. And, and the drive and, and, and just the outstanding ability and uh, physical prowess. But Matt Ryan, I, I kind of, I'm with you on this. Where are the discernible moments? So I, Ian, I'm going to bring you in for a second because you're a Patriots fan. You know, this, this really, this is a question that Ira can tell you. It's sort of a raging debate now. When I'm on San Diego po uh, podcasts or telecasts, whatever, interviews, they always are asking about Philip Rivers. Down in the Southeast, they're asking Ira about Matt Ryan, you know, you're from the Northeast. You're apart from this. Matt Ryan, Hall of Famer? Uh, I, I got to agree with you guys. Um, <clears throat> I, have a, I, you know, I have a pretty, I feel like a pretty uh, a high standard when it comes to Hall of Fame uh, inductees to begin with. So, I, I again, I feel like it, it's, like you said, it's got to be the best of the best of the best. And I just, I look at Matt Ryan, and I think he was a very fine quarterback. Um, and to your point about 2016, I can make an argument had Brady not been suspended, he probably was going to win that MVP. I think the fact that he missed those four games, I, I think voters completely disregarded that because he was phenomenal in those in those four or 12 games that he played. I mean, it, it, like I said, MVP number. So I don't want to take anything away from Matt Ryan, but if that's all he has to hold on to at the end of his career is one MVP, I just, I, I couldn't do it. I, 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 like I said, I just, I don't feel like there's a lot of uh, guaranteed Hall of Famers right this instant. I think Tom Brady, obviously, and I think Aaron Rodgers and, and Drew yeah. Brees. Drew Brees. Drew Brees, yeah. And I, I, I throw Ben Roethlisberger in there, too. But here's yeah. the other thing that, that yeah. I'll mention to you, Ari. You talk about numbers. 
This is the thing that bothers me about numbers. It's never been easier to play quarterback than it is today. And that's not being critical of quarterbacks. It's simply they've wrapped them in bubble wrap and said, you can't touch these guys. And, and then you've got a horizontal passing game. So completion percentages are up, pass ratings are up and everything. But last week, there was a graphic that I'm sure one of you guys probably saw, maybe both saw on TV that astounded me. And it was on passing yardage. Joe Flacco was 200 yards shy of Joe Montana and had passed Johnny Unitas. Joe Flacco had done that. And I looked at it and went, my God, you rolled that out in front of people who are analytics fiends. And they go, this guy must be pretty good. Well, he was for one year. Joe Flacco was terrific in 2012. And, and he did a marvelous job in the playoff run where was 11 touchdowns, no interceptions, and was outstanding MVP. But that's the problem with numbers. And, and Clark, two points. Um, one, you can't argue that Matt Ryan hasn't had quality receivers. Roddy right. White was very good. Julio Jones, I think, will get a bust in Canton. I think he will, uh, and deservedly. Um, and number two, Clark, the same thing. The same principle that you're talking about with quarterbacks and the, the, the rules that uh, encourage the passing game, they apply to wide receivers too, Clark, and maybe tight ends. So 10 years from now, you're going to see all these receivers that have 12, 13,000 yards, Clark, and they're going to come into the Hall of Fame room with numbers. With and numbers. people are going to say, hey, this guy's number seven on the all-time list. Everybody ahead of him's on, uh, in already. And that's the kind of thing that we face in that room every year, Clark. And that's why we say, forget the numbers. They've got to pass what, Ira? They got to pass the eye test, baby. You got it, baby. Oh, listen, we're going to stop right there, and we're going to go to break. But when we return, we'll sit down with Hall of Fame general manager Ron Wolf. Maybe he'll tell us a little bit about the eye test. You're listening to The Eye Test for Two on FullPressRadio.com. To succeed in this game, you have to love it, respect its history, and understand you have a responsibility to make it better. Michael Jordan said that, but the same applies to professional football. Football has such a broad appeal. I think it is the ultimate team game. It is a game of human will coupled with unbelievable athletic skill and grace. Nothing expresses that any better and watching a receiver catch a ball, tap his two feet down, inbounds for a completed pass. It is still, however, a contest of blocking, tackling, and kicking. No matter how hard people attempt to change the rules to get more scoring, it still comes down to those three basic components. To me, that is the uniqueness of the NFL and the wonderful aspect of the game of pro football. It is the reason behind the tremendous appeal the game has achieved nationally. Welcome back to the second half of our I Test for Two podcast. I'm Clark Judge. He's Eric Kaufman. And we're joined now, as we said we would be, by Hall of Fame General Manager Ron Wolf, who was one of the first two contributor candidates named to Canton and who has been a valued and trusted friend of ours and mine for years. And Ron's with us today. Ron, thanks so much for joining us here on the eye test for two. Oh, you're more than welcome. And thanks for that wonderful intro. <laughs> Ron, I, I want to get 
<laughs> first to the, the Centennial Committee, because I know you were part of the Blue Ribbon Panel, so was Ira, and um, you guys decided on the Centennial Class for 2020. And my question first is, that's somewhat of a unique experience for you. I know you've been a consultant for Hall of Fame committees before, but now you're actually on the panel to decide who goes into Canton. What did you learn from that experience? And I mean the experience of choosing Hall of Famers that you didn't know before. Oh, boy, that's, that's a really interesting question. Uh, the big thing I learned is, uh, is uh, which I was kind of disappointed in, to be perfectly honest, was how were th how things were presented uh, by in, by the uh, solicitor, if you will, f for a particular uh, individual. Uh, I always thought that a person who belonged in the Hall of Fame or should be considered for the Hall of Fame should be a dominant player at his position of his era. And, I mean that's that pretty much is what it's all about as far as I'm concerned. And wins and losses play a very, very important part in anybody that's a coach. Uh, so that's kind of how I, how I viewed it. But I was a little, uh, uh, a little surprised at how, how the vote went. And I, and I, I can see that, and we're only talking about 25 people here. I can imagine it's even more so with when the electors are in that room uh, or the selectors are in that room trying to figure out who to pick, how volatile that can be and how <laughs> uh, it, it boggled my mind. And, and uh, the how things were presented, things of that nature, I was uh, – obviously, I didn't agree with uh, – uh, some of the people that were picked, but I'm sure everybody goes through that. But, yeah, no, but, that's right. But to and, me, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I, and I wanted to ask you about a guy that uh, I was surprised didn't make it. Um, and you mentioned coaches. That's Buddy Parker, um, former Lions and Steelers coach. And I, I've been on a rant about this because I thought with the Centennial Committee, I, I really thought he had a chance because he had been overlooked for years and he coached in the, the, the 50s and 60s. And, and certainly, um, I mean, I, I remember him, I know you do too, Ron. And I, I was um, equally surprised that he wasn't named as the coaching candidate for the class of 2021. Tom Flores was named, and I understand Tom Flores certainly deserving there, but I thought we've had three nominees and, and Jimmy Johnson and Bill Cower made it. And then we've had Tom Flores as a nominee. And I thought, what's wrong with Buddy Parker? And, and so I guess I'll, ask you, I don't want you to give away any secrets, but A, what's the argument against him? And, and B, with the coaches category in being at least through 2024, do you think he's ever going to make it? Well, I, I don't know what the arguments are against him because he never came up in, in our thing. And I'm with you there, Clark, because I thought we're, we're talking about 30s, 40s, 50s, and the 60s. But we put in Cower and Johnson in that category, and they, you know, they don't qualify right. for for that. Uh, and I, that's what I'm talking about. I was a little surprised at that. That's what surprised me. But I don't think Parker Parker came up because 
like everybody else, I'm pushing. I'm pushing for somebody else. Yeah. I'm sure everybody in the room is pushing for somebody else. But Buddy Parker never came up, and his accomplishments uh, during his era, the, the late fifties there, and how he turned uh, uh, how he turned the Steelers around, who, who were as bad a franchise probably as uh, the old New York Bulldogs. Uh, and, and the Yanks uh, in, in the late 40s and 50s. How he turned the Steelers around was remarkable. Uh, and in the last day of the last game of the season, he had them primed to go to the playoffs. And of course, they, they lost and didn't make it. But what he did was remarkable when he considers the 12, 12 game schedule and 33 man player limit. And he made some just outstanding trades. But I, I think you could carry that Clark to a lot of different people. Uh, I mean, the guy that invented the T formation and then put in the defense that, to stop the T formation, you know, Clark Shaughnessy. Uh, yeah. People like that. I mean, they've disappeared. And uh, unfortunately, I don't think you're going to see them I agree. get in. Hey, Ron, I Ron, I want to ask you about a player that you're you're very familiar with and you're very fond of, and his name doesn't come up often in considerations for a bust in Canton, and I bet you you can't figure out why, and it's gnawing at you, but that man is Sterling Sharp, Mr. Wolf. Um, and according to your definition, which is a heck of a definition, a dominant player in your era – uh, I believe Mr. Sharp fills the bill, um, but he had a short career, Ron. For people that never saw Sterling Sharp play, what what do they need to know? Well, I think what they need to know is you have to consider uh, who he played for. He played for a lousy uh, Green Bay Packers team until Mike Holmgren and I got there and kind of changed the fortunes, but He's the reason for the change. I am sure that in 1992, with that collection of players we had, Mike Holgren and his staff were able, able to go 9-7 and seven and have a winning record, which was remarkable. But the real reason for that was Brett Favre and Sterling Sharp. And uh, I'm sure every defensive coordinator that got ready to play the Packers said, all we have to do is take Sharp away and we'll beat him. Well, you know what? They never took him away. He led the league in receptions. And he was just a tremendous football player. Hard to believe uh, uh, that he was as good as he was considering what he had around him as a a team. What made him so special, uh, uh, Ron? What made him so special? I I think what made him... Made him so special was he was really tough and really dedicated to the game in his way. He was not intimidated by anything or anybody or any situation. He's a perfect football player in, in he's a perfect football player. I, I don't know what else to add to that. Perfect football player. He could do everything you would want a receiver to do. He would go anywhere to catch a ball. He would go in in and catch it. He could go out and catch it. He could 
run hooks, runs outs, runs offs. Uh, he, he was uh, he was just an exceptional football player. And the fact that you know guys, and this again is no respect to the people that are already in the Hall of Fame, but you know guys like Gale Sayers who 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 had who were phenomenal but had four years and 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 uh, the guy from uh, Denver, the running back Terrell, from Denver, Terrell Davis. Terrell Davis. Yep. Thank you very much. I was having a senior moment there. <laughs> 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 uh, I mean, they're in, and and certainly, you know, arguably they deserve to be in. But if they're in, I mean, Sharp had a longer career, not from numbers, but from his standpoint until he got hurt, and. Uh, I mean, he was just a remarkable football player. Ron, the, um, you know, the name of the show, Ron, Ron, the name of the show is the eye test in terms of the Hall of Fame. And Clark and I just had a discussion about uh, guys like Matt Ryan, Philip Rivers, Eli Manning, I'll throw in there. Uh, Ron, these guys, com- they were durable. They compiled a lot of numbers. But do they pass the eye test of, of Ron Wolf? As, as you gentlemen know, I, I am really old school, and I believe that everything's, you know, they keep score for a reason, and wins and losses are a key as far as I'm concerned, and how many times you take it, it's not how many times you won a Super Bowl or didn't take it, didn't go to the Super Bowl, it's, it's your overall one loss record. And I would think those all three of those guys even uh, are a little questionable in that. I mean, that's, that's to me, that's what a hall of fame player is a dominant player at his position. And I don't think any one of those guys you could say is a dom was a dominant player at their position. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Ron. And, and because the Eli Manning question is such an incendiary one, I, I just I go back to the, the record, as you mentioned, it's a 500 record, but I go back to the Herman Edwards comment, you know, you, you play the game to win. And that's exactly right. You play the game to win. And I'm old school like you are. And uh, I just think that when you're talking about Eli Manning, I, I mentioned to people, I said, I think he had Hall of Fame moments. Those two Super Bowls, he had Hall of Fame moments, the championship game against the 49ers, Hall of Fame moment. But he didn't have a Hall of Fame career. That's my belief, and that's just one person. Well, yeah, I'm with you there. Um, you know, if you're going to consider him, uh, that, then certainly Charlie Connolly deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Yep. I mean, he, t- he what he had six or seven championships with the uh, with the Giants. Uh, I mean, to me, that's what it's about: winning, winning championships. That's a Hall of Fame player. Yeah. Agreed. At that um, position. At that I want to ask you. I want to ask you one other question about that. Since I was asking about Sterling Sharp, one other Sterling Sharp question. I'm going to make this in a tough one for you, Ron. You spent most of your career with the Packers and Raiders. Each has Hall of Fame candidates at wide receiver: Cliff Branch in Oakland slash LA, and Sterling Sharp in Green Bay. You have to choose oh. one for your football team, or oh, you have boy. to choose one for Ken. Whom would it be? Buster Hayes. Uh, <laughs> uh, great, great answer, Ron. 
He can't bring the stick him though. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, they they were different, right, Ron? Well, Branch and Sharp were different. Oh no! Oh, they were different. Yeah, but yeah, but uh, you know, Sharp Sharp set a standard. Uh, uh, Sharp set a standard. There's no question about that. Uh, Cliff Branch, I think, kind of changed the game a little bit. Uh, uh, the, uh, that, that's 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 really hard. I mean, that's that's the kind of question that uh, uh, I wish I, I wish I was uh, able to to avoid it. I I don't know who I would pick. You're doing a yeah. good job of avoiding it, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm trying like heck to avoid it. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Hey, Ron, I got one more, but mine's a softball over there, Mr. Wolf. I got a softball for you. Uh, Ron, if you, you were still an executive in this league and you attended the league meetings uh, in the spring and they want to soften up even more, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the, the, the uh, ability to throw the football and turn this into a Wild West and increase the scoring even more than they're doing now. And, Ron, would you ever raise your hand and say, what the heck are we doing, guys? I mean, you can't play pass defense in this league anymore. Pass interference is, is ruining the game. Um, Ron, would you uh, would you be uh, inclined to uh, to raise your hand and, and rage against uh, some of these rule changes? Uh, I don't know if I'd rage, but uh, I know this. Uh, if there's one thing you don't want to be anymore in the National Football League, the defensive coordinator, uh, <laughs> but uh, I would think, you know, I spent uh, 30, 39 years in, in, in the game actively and then three more years uh, uh, after that, and uh, 38 and three, 41. Uh, but the, uh, I came into the game not really understanding what interference was 2000 not really knowing what past interference is or was so i'll just answer it that way uh i i think they they need to nip the bud here somehow and uh, uh eliminate the uh w what that means I, i'm sure you have people calling past interference that have no idea what they're seeing and uh I mean, I think you saw that last night. If you watched the Cowboys and the Cardinals game, yeah. uh, regardless of the outcome, I mean, it was clearly pass interference, clearly pass interference, and it wasn't called. And the guy gets an interception. So the bottom line of that is it wasn't pass interference. Uh, I, I don't know. For, uh, for one team, and it was pass interference in the end zone for another team. And the guy didn't do half of what the other guy did. So <laughs> I don't know what you do there. Uh, if you you make it a fifteen-yard penalty, or... <laughs> Ron, can you imagine trying to coach defensive backs in today's game? Can you imagine? No, no, I can't. No, I say they don't have a chance. Yeah, you don't have a chance. I mean, you you got to be able to have a wonderful uh, eraser in your mind. Uh, that you never gave up a play and just go on and play. I mean, that's all you can do. What else you know, can you do? I've spoken to Mike Pereira about this in the past. And when I lived in New York, 
was really good friends with him because he lived a couple blocks away and I'd see him all the time. And he believes very strongly that we should have a 15 yard pass interference penalty, much like the college game. And if it's egregious, you do spot of the foul. Do you think that's workable? I think that's more than workable. Uh, I mean, they got to do something because it's ridiculous that the game is not being even, even as hard as it is to play defense. In some instances, the games aren't being decided by the participants. They're being decided by those uh, officials. Yeah. And that's not, that shouldn't be that. As Andy Griffith said in those convicts running up and down the field blowing whistles. They're, you know, they're, <laughs> they're, they're deciding the game. And uh, it shouldn't be that way, in my opinion. It's hard. Listen, it's a as you as you gentlemen know, it's a damn, darn difficult game to play. Yeah, and to have the athletic ability and the capability to play it, a person is blessed. But it's got to be an even playing field too, and it's not defense. Defensive players yeah, I, can't I, hit them high, can't hit them low, can't do this, can't do that. Right. I mean, the, I mean, the game is. Uh, the, the game is necessary roughness. That's the game. That's what made the game so popular. Uh, and now you're legislating in a way. Yeah. And I'm going to use my, my, my age old thing. I, I've often wondered when a receiver isn't defenseless. That's a good question. You know, when isn't he defenseless? You know, so you could call that every time. Uh, anyway. Ron, one more question for me, too, and I'm going back to Green Bay here. Um, obviously, people know you were the GM that put them back, the Packers back on the map, um, mostly through shrewd personnel moves and drafts. You brought in key people like Reggie White, Brett Favre, um, brought in Mike Holmgren. Um, but when you look at what they did last year, they went 13-3 and with Aaron Rodgers, and they got to the conference championship game. How surprised were you? that they chose a quarterback with their first round draft pick. And why do you think they did it? Well, you know, I've been out of the game 20 years and the game has changed uh, so dramatically, but I have no idea why they did it. They, they must've felt this guy was, uh, was a one heck of a prospect because he made a trade to go up to, you know, to take the, take the guy. Yeah. And uh, uh, I mean, this this is something that we don't. I'm sure you don't have enough time to listen to me vent about this. But to me, the number one position in the game is quarterback. If you don't have a quarterback, you're not. You have to pitch a shutout to to be able to play. So to be able to protect yourself at that position, I think that's a wonderful thing. I think you should, you know, I, I did this when I was with Green Bay. We, during every year, took a quarterback somewhere in the draft, and we had the best quarterback, in my opinion, in the game at that time. Mm-hmm. But we always took one. We always took one. I think you could, you could argue all the time, uh, who, who, who should they have taken? I mean, I, I'm, I'm not familiar enough with all the players in the draft uh, to make that comment, but 
I admire the fact that they went up and did that. Mm. Regardless of how, I'll never forget this. This is a long. Uh, I'm out of the game and I'm sitting watching the uh, watching the uh, the draft, and and the Redskins took Robert Griffin, the first round pick, and in a fourth round pick they took Kirk Cousins. Yep. And and suddenly. I mean, everybody came on them and said how stupid they were to do that. Well, it turns out they weren't stupid. Uh, it worked out pretty well for them, regardless. And you need to have a quality backup, not just some old-timer that because he knows your system or been in the league 12 years, he can get you out of the game. I mean, I, I, don't, I never cared to hear that. I want a guy at that position who could – lead us and take us further along, win games. Don't, yep. don't get me about experience, win games. They're not going to change. They are who they are. If they were bad, you know, 10 years ago, then they're going to be bad 11 years. <laughs> we went through that one, one game in, uh, in Green Bay that kind of really reinforced my thinking was, First, we lost Brett Favre on one play, and next play we lost a backup. And and then here comes number three in there, and we we snatched uh, defeat from victory. You protected Ron, yourself I got so well, Ron, that in one <laughs> training camp, your fourth quarterback was Kurt Warner. Yes, he was. Yeah, the best thing that happened to Kurt, Kurt Warner was that, that, that he got cut. That's, that's he right. Had, if he had made our team, no one had ever heard of Kurt Warner. He'd You're been right. Three, you know, Mary yeah. Uchi, Mary Uchi tells a story about you sent them in. He sent him in one time in training camp. Said, "Go in and run the offense." And Warner said, "No." And he goes, "What do you mean, no?" He goes, "I really don't know it well enough. I'm not good enough to be in there." He goes, "I've never heard that before." Um, yeah, I got yeah. one more for you, Ron. I got one more for you, and um, let's end it on a humorous note, Mr. Wolf. Uh, speaking of not having a quarterback. Uh, our listeners may not know this, but you were directing football operations for the inaugural <laughs> expansion, 76 Buccaneers, right here in Tampa, where I am. And uh, Ron, of course, they went 0-14 uh, with uh, John McKay at, at the helm, uh, Steve Spurrier uh, behind center. Uh, Ron, that is a uh, memorable team, a memorable season. Uh, and a humorous one to boot, although I didn't, I don't think you thought it was funny at the time. What, what is your, what is your uh, searing memory of, of that 76 Buccaneer season, Ron? My searing memory is that uh, uh, we established a record that will never, ever be broken. Rivals <laughs> Cal Ripken's record in, uh, in baseball. We went 0-26. Can you imagine that? Uh, it was so bad that no one in the game wanted to ever be around you. Talking about me. You know, go to the All-Star games. I'd walk around. People, oh, don't come around me. It's going to rub off. Uh, it was really embarrassing. And then finally, we uh, we won a couple of games. And uh, that second season was uh, uh Enable us to little hold our heads a little high, but uh, the owner had had enough and fired me. So uh, 
<laughs> but but the reason the reason for that in my belief is I could never find that quarterback. Could never find that quarterback. And uh, the only quarterback of any ilk that came out at that period, if memory serves me, was a fellow by the name of Steve DeBerg, who I think was an 11th round draft choice. Well, uh, Ron, your first pick as GM of the Bucks was, was a guy who ended up in the Hall of Fame. So Leroy Selman, not, not too shabby, Mr. Wolf. No, no, and that's it's one of the greatest football players I'd ever been around. And interestingly, a couple of days ago, I was looking at what Barry Switzer said. He's the best football player he ever had at the University of Oklahoma. Wow. And, uh, I mean, it's a hell of a compliment to a tremendous, tremendous football player. You know what I remember about that season, Ira? After some game that the Bucks had lost, someone asked John McKay, what do you think of your team's execution? And he said, I'm in favor of it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Ron, uh, we, we appreciate your time so much, Ron. Yeah. Ron, thanks for stopping by. Yeah, if there's a Hall of Fame induction in 2021, are you going to be there? You betcha. Oh, good. Lord good. willing, the creeks don't rise. I'll be there. Okay. <laughs> we'll look for you then. Ron, thanks so much for stopping by. This is great. Okay. Thank you for having me, fellas. Really appreciate, appreciate it. Appreciate it, Ron. Yeah, thanks, Ron. Take bye care. Bye-bye now. That was former Packers GM Ron Wolf And Ira, um, I, I agree with him 100% and with you on the Sterling Sharp situation. He's not been a semifinalist or a finalist, and he has one heck of a resume, and he's not even on the radar. No one's talking about him. And when yet, you're, you know, Clark, if you're the best receiver in football for three four, five years, that that might be a Hall of Fame resume right yeah, then right. and there. Absolutely, yeah. right. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention, you may know this, but our listeners don't. You know, I talk about Ron Wolf. little known fact here, he was the first guy I ever presented to the Board of Selectors as a Hall of Fame candidate because he was the, one of the first two contributor candidates. So I stood up that meeting and I was nervous. And someone said, don't worry about it, don't be nervous. Well, it's my first presentation I wanted to get in. Then I realized he was a slam dunk. You know, Mickey Mouse could have presented this guy. He's gonna be in. His resume spoke for itself. I think there was one question, one question. And I realized then, Ron's a, he's a, he's a lot. Wait a minute, you hear that, Ira? I, I think it's our weekly I Was There segment. You know, when I first heard that, I thought Arizona scored again against the Cowboys. <laughs> but well, I had the catch, uh, uh, Clark. I had the catch last week. Uh, yeah. what, what, what are you offering uh, this week, sir? Uh, well, funny you mention that because um, I'm offering the catch, too. I'm going back to the scene of the crime, Candlestick Park. And the catch, too, was 17 years later at the opposite end of Candlestick. And it wasn't made by Dwight Clark, it was made by somebody who Dwight Clark then in the front office drafted, and that was Terrell Owens. And um, you know, it was, it was a interesting situation because it was a wild card playoff game. It was in January of 1999 and the 49ers were playing the Packers and the Packers were their nemesis. They couldn't get past them, they were like, what Dallas had been earlier in the decade for them. They lost five straight times to them, including three times in the playoffs. And honestly, they got George Seifert, I'd say fired, dismissed. He resigned. So he resigned on his own terms, but he was pushed out. And it was because he couldn't beat the Packers. And so here they are 
with a chance in that five-game losing streak, and lo and behold, the pack scores with like two minutes to go, and they're going to beat them again in candlestick. And suddenly, the 49ers get the ball, and they start going down the field. I go down in the elevator with everyone else because, you know, I used to go down for the last two minutes of the game, and I hear the roar of the crowd. Well, clearly, passes are being completed. We go down the stands, and yeah, the 49ers have got the ball. And now they're set up at the 25-yard line of Green Bay, eight seconds are left, and don't let me tell you about it. Let's just go back to the scene of the crime. Uh, Ian, run the, run the audio if you could. Now, eight seconds to go, third down. They only have time for two plays, no matter what. So Rice goes out to the left, and if you want to take one crack, maybe he's the guy you should go for. Young almost falls down. Throws to the end zone. Oh, it's Owen! 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 He caught it! He caught it! He caught it! 25 yards! Touchdown pass! Terrell Owen! He hasn't held on to anything, including his fingers, all day, and he makes the winning touchdown catch! I don't believe it! One of the greatest finishes in 49er history! Somehow, someway, Owen, right down the middle! The coverage was there! Fortnite's broadcaster was not on decaf that day. That was a great, great finish to a great ball game. And yeah, they won it. And he was right about Terrell Owens. He had dropped everything that day. He couldn't catch a cold. He had dropped, I think, three passes. And they had Jerry Rice lined up on the left-hand side. And I think Green Bay thought that that's where the ball was going. But Ira was standing on the sidelines. And Young, as he dropped back, slipped. And there was a feeling that he froze the defensive backs because he disappeared and then pop right back up, and he throws it to the middle of the field, and right between um, Darren Sharper and I think it was Pat Terrell, or Terrell, um, Terrell Owens makes the catch, and then he gets clobbered and holds onto the ball, was crying afterwards. Uh, it was a great moment, great catch, and to me it launched a Hall of Fame career for Terrell Owens. That was a young Terrell Owens, right, uh, Clark? Yeah. Uh, yeah. May- maybe a second, third season, um, and you're right. It, it, it was the first indication, hey, this guy's going to be something special, and you know, he's got a bust in Canton uh, to show for it. A couple other things that I've mentioned. On the sidelines, we're looking up the field, and prior to that play, on one of the snaps prior to that play, Jerry Rice caught a ball, got hit and dropped it. They called it an incomplete pass. Today, it would have been a fumble, and it was a fumble, but they called it an incomplete pass, but there was no wow. review. So uh, because instant replay wasn't around, you know, they weren't using it as an official officiating tool, we have the Terrell Owens catch, too. Number two, I'm standing there watching the game, and John Clayton, then with, I think he was with ESPN at that time. If not, he was, he was up in Seattle. He grabs me and says, Clark, Clark, you got a second. I said, yeah, and I'm trying to watch the play. Is what <laughs> he goes, who are the 49ers putting on plan B? <laughs> what? And if you knew oh, that's John a classic. Clayton, you would know. This was who he was. He was so meticulous. He was the king of plan B, and plan B, predated a lot of this free agency stuff it just it was a it was a uh, sort of an interesting attempt to protect players and uh, not protect players but anyway he wanted to know at that time who the 49ers were going to protect in the offseason I'm go John I'm watching the game what are you talking about history history is being made and Clayton's mind is on plan b there that's you go right. that's Beautiful. why he was the professor um anyway 
Um, it's not as memorable, Iris, as the catch for numbers of reasons. One is um, it was a it was a wild card game. You know, they weren't going to the Super Bowl. They went to a divisional game and they lost. It was an and it, it, it didn't launch. It didn't launch a dynasty. It, it did didn't not launch. launch a di- it was the end of a dynasty. Actually, it was the end of the dynasty, and and it wasn't the Cowboys. You know, it was Green Bay, and Green Bay was was a factor, but Dallas was was hated. You know, and the Cowboys um, were something else, but. Green Bay, here you have Mike Holmgren as, you know, the coach. He'd been at 49ers. Anyway, it, it didn't have the impact that yours did. And this presentation does not have the impact that yours did. <laughs> so anyway, uh, any final thoughts, Ira? Any, any final thoughts? Anything else to say? Yeah, Clark, you know, I, I'm, I'm watching Sunday's uh, uh, Buck Packers game. Uh, Green Bay nice came game. in. They had scored 30 points in all four games. They're unbeaten. Um, they're flying high. Uh, they're winning 10-0. But – Clark, by the end of the game, it reinforced something I've been thinking about Aaron Rodgers. Maybe I'm a little bit over the top here. You tell me. Clark, the eye test by the numbers, he throws a beautiful football. There's no question about it. I think on terms of passer rating, I think he's number one all time in his career. Yeah, I think you're right. Having said that, Clark, having said it, he doesn't pass my eye test in terms of leadership and body language, and he never has. He never has. I think he is a ultimate front runner. And when things are going well, he's got that smile and smirk on his face. And he's carving you up. But Clark, when things go awry, as they did on Sunday with the pick six and then another interception, uh, and the Bucks scored the last 38 points, his body language stinks, Clark. He feels sorry for himself. He's a sad sack. He's looking around. I don't see the leadership that that position demands. So I'm going to say this, Clark. I'm not going to say he doesn't belong in Canton when he's done, but I'll say this. In my opinion, he's not one of the 10 best quarterbacks of all time, and that's my reason why. I don't think he's a great leader, Clark, and I think that position demands leadership. Yeah, I don't disagree with some of what you say. He's not one of the 10 quarterbacks in my top 10 either, but – I, I don't mind the, the complaining or the uh, irritation. I mean, I saw it with, you see it all the time with Tom Brady, but he's in guys' faces like, let's get going. Um, the body language is something else, but you saw it with Eli Manning too. Eli Manning, he was criticized for body language, and yet he took him to two Super Bowl wins, you know, and he certainly was a leader in that locker room. I think Aaron Rodgers, I don't know what's going on in that locker room, but I do think he's a leader of that team. Um, some of what you said is, is absolutely on, on target. Um, but he, he's won a lot of games. We listened to Ron Wolf talk about winning and losing. He's won a lot of games. The Packers are on the map because of him. They were 13-3 and three last year when I didn't think they were a great team, but he's had to overcome some leaky defenses. He does throw one of the best passes I've ever seen. And Dan Marino did too. You know, Dan Marino went to one Super Bowl and he lost it. But Dan Marino, you watched him and, yeah, he passed the eye test. With Aaron Rodgers, I feel the same way. When I watch him play, I go, well, I'd love to have him on my team. That said, Ira... I, I don't disagree with some of what you're talking about with the body language and things like that. But 38 to 10, was it? I think he saw yeah. the game as like, what the heck is going on? We don't have a chance here. I'm getting killed back here. Defense isn't making a stop. And it's Tom Brady on the other side. So let's move on to next week. I still can't put him in my top 10 all time, Clark. I can't yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. In fact, I, I, maybe I'll ask you next week for your top 10. But people ask me about Drew Brees. And I said, he's not mine either. And yet he's uh, got it all the, you know, that he's in one or two and all these all-time numbers. But 
he's not in my top 10 either. And then people, how, how can that be? We won the one Super Bowl. Um, and he, he's just, he's got other people ahead of him. Like a guy like Roger Staubach. No one talks about it. If you watch Roger right. Staubach, in eight yep. years, four times he's in the Super Bowl. Uh, yep. You look at his one loss record, there are only two guys better than him. One is Tom Brady. The other one's Otto Graham. Very no underappreciated. Very underappreciated. Yeah. Because no Otto Graham's not an ESPN. People aren't talking about him. Ten years, ten championship games, seven titles. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Anyway, oh, he got me worked up there. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just, let's call it a day. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can reach us at, we reach Ira at, at Ira Kaufman 76. That's his age, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Year I was born, Clark. Year I was born. <laughs> yeah. People don't know it was 1876. And me at, at Clark Judge TOF. So uh, our thanks to Ron Wolf for joining us, Ian Glendon for producing us, and also for participating with us. Ian, it was great to hear from you. And, uh, and you for listening to us. So uh, tune in next week. There'll be more of this. This has been the Eye Test for Two on FullPressRadio.com.